0: Thursday night I was talking with someone and uh, we were talking about different struggles that different people have especially young people uh, specifically with submitting to their parents or submitting to any type of authority outside of themselves and and uh, how there's such a tendency among some to to point at mistakes or imperfections or the fallibility that all flesh is subject to and say, well, he missed it there or she missed it there and, and how really what's what's at stake when someone is doing that is far more critical and far more dangerous than what might really occur to them in the moment. And I thought of that passage where Jesus says, in, uh, in Luke 18, he's, he's uh, told the story of the unjust judge and he's told the story about praying and never giving up. And, and um, he ends that story by saying, you know, that the judge, even though he's unrighteous, if, if, the, if the widow just kept persisting, if she just kept coming and coming and coming, that eventually he would respond to her. But he ends by saying, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And that can be so pie in the sky, but really what does it mean to find faith on the earth? Does it merely mean that I accede to the facts of Jesus and his existence, or even his existence in heaven, his current existence? Uh, reigning in heaven what does it mean that when the son of man comes he's going to find faith on the earth and you have to think of of um, romans 10 which is very familiar to all of us but where where paul is speaking about the jews and how they lost all the promises of god he's just uh, come out of romans 9 obviously and he says he says, um, "For if your lips, for with your lips, for if with your lips you acknowledge Jesus is Lord, and in your hearts you believe that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For in their hearts people exercise the faith that leads to right standing with God, and with their lips they make acknowledgment, which which results in salvation. For the Scripture says." No one who puts his faith in him will ever be put to shame. But there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is over them all, because he is infinitely kind to all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's where everybody likes to stop reading, just like in Ephesians 2.8. But he goes on and he says, but how can people call upon one whom they have not heard? Actually, I'm sorry. How can people call upon one in whom they have not believed? Amen. So he says, faith comes by hearing. He goes on to talk about this. But he says, how can you call upon someone if you don't believe in him? How are you ever going to cry out into the heavens? How are you ever going to cry out into that realm that is beyond what your eyes can see if you don't believe something in your heart? You've got to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, but how can you call on the name of the Lord? How can you call on one in whom you have not believed? And he says, how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? He doesn't say how can they believe in one whom they have not heard about. He says they have to actually hear him in order to believe him. And how can people hear Unless there is a proclaimer, unless someone proclaims it. Amen. So his unavoidable implication is that you can't believe on God and thereby call upon him unto salvation unless you hear him through people. And how can men preach unless they are sent? As the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of men who bring the gospel of glad tidings. However, they have not all given heed to the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has put faith in what we told? That's exactly how he translates it. Lord, who has put faith in what we told? Amen. See, it wasn't Isaiah's good ideas. It wasn't Isaiah's interpretation it was the word that is with you even in your mouth and in your heart the word of faith that we are proclaiming Isn't that what Paul said do not say who is going to ascend into heaven to bring Christ down or who is going to descend into the abyss to bring Christ up we need Christ because we got to believe on him who is going to do this? Who's going to bring Christ here? But what does it say? The Logos is near you, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart, the Word of faith that we are preaching. Amen. Lord, Isaiah says, Lord, who has put faith in what we told? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But may I ask, they had no but may I ask, they had no chance to hear, did they? Yes indeed. All over the earth their voices have gone out. To the ends of the world their word has gone. Amen. Thank you Jesus. So he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of Christ. Amen. Amen. This logos that is near you. So, when Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What he's really saying is, when the Son of Man comes, will people still believe that God speaks through human flesh? That's really what he's asking. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of those who are sent. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You cannot have faith unless someone is sent and that someone opens their mouth and brings the word of Christ, and you receive that word. Amen. He says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And that word faith, that word hearing, is ekoe. I'm pretty close. I don't know the exact Greek pronunciation. It's A-K-O-E, uh, transliterated. Amen. And, and as often as it's translated hearing, it's translated ears. So it says that Jesus in Mark Jesus laid his hands on the man and prayed for him and his ears were opened his echoe was opened. So this word faith comes by hearing Amen. And hearing by the word of God it's it, it means that when we come into the presence of God we don't even have the capacity to hear We are as deaf as Lazarus was in the grave when Jesus started crying out, Lazarus, come forth. We don't even have the ability to hear the Word of God. But hearing comes by the Word of God. So we stand deaf, unresponsive, deaf to what God is doing, and all of a sudden, the Word starts coming forth. This Word of life, this Word of power, this word of repentance, amen. And suddenly, something happens inside of us that creates an ability to hear that word. And if with that ability, we take that word inside of us, then faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. So the hearing comes, and then the faith comes, amen. Thank you, Jesus. And if we lose our ears, our ability to hear, We lose our ability to have faith. And if we lose our ability to have faith, then we lose our ability to be saved because we cannot believe in him whom we have not heard. And Paul explicitly said you cannot hear unless you hear the one the people sent. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's what my dad was talking about last week when he said, talked about the substance. He talked about people who heard the word of God and received it as the word of God. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, because lawlessness will abound, the love of most will grow cold. I always link that scripture in my mind to when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Amen. Because they're really the same thing. Amen. The The value of the Word of God because lawlessness, because sin will abound. So many times it's betrayed. So many times it's blasphemed. So many times it's it's made a mockery of through sin and wickedness. Amen. Because it abounds, pretty soon people, they just no longer believe that God can actually speak to them through human flesh. Amen. So the Word comes, but... There, no hearing comes. And because there's no hearing, no faith comes. And when the Son of Man comes, you're not going to be saved. Amen. There's no faith on the earth. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. That was what was different about the people who had substance. That was what was different about the Browns when they drove all the way from Dallas to Austin. Amen. It was to hear the Word of God and let it pierce them, grab them, change them, move them. As if it really was the Word of God. Amen. And if you lose that, no matter where you are in the body, if you lose that, you've lost your salvation. You have lost... I am near to the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Amen. You have lost the nearness of God. Amen. You've lost hope. You've lost faith. And you cannot go anywhere. Amen. Amen. And then everything is going to be subjected to do I really have to do this and do I really have to do that? Amen. Is flesh perfect? Amen. Is the messenger perfect? Amen. Paul is speaking. Was he perfect? Was the apostle Paul perfect? We know Jesus was perfect. Was Paul perfect? Amen. He buffeted his flesh and died daily. What was he dying to? He was dying to his imperfections. He was dying to the fact that he was not a perfect person. But every time that imperfection would boil to the surface through the crucible of God's conviction, he would skim it off and get rid of it. He would die to it. Amen. Amen. Was Peter perfect? Amen. You say, I'm not sure if I can submit. I'm not sure if I can really submit my life. Amen. And you say to men, but the question is not whether you can submit your life to man. Nobody's asking you to submit your life to man. All we're asking you is, can you recognize the ministry that God has sent? Because Jesus said, this is the work of God to believe on him whom you have sent. Amen. And Paul makes it clear that we can only believe on the many people, the the body of Christ, those who have the word that God has sent. Only then can we claim belief. amen. But we won't believe if we don't accept those who are sent as if they bring the very word of God. Amen. Amen. See, if they brought the word of flesh, if they brought the word of human wisdom, we wouldn't reject them. We would accept them. Jesus said so. Jesus said, if I came in my own name, if one came in his own name, you would accept him. But because I come in the name of another, you will not receive me. John said, because we are not of the world, the world rejects us. Amen. The world is very accepting of people who come in their own name. Amen. But they really balk at the thought that that we should receive the word of God from human flesh. Amen. Are we putting our trust in that person's fallibility? No. We're putting our trust in God, that God called that person to speak the word of God into my life, and he called me to hear it. And he called me to obey it, and to speak it into all the other areas in my life. And we're trusting that God is able to be stronger and more powerful Than human flesh, and that when it fails, he can pick it up again. Amen. We're trusting that God is able to make him stand, as Paul said. We're trusting that the heart of the ruler is in the hands of God. We're trusting, in short, that God loved me enough to send somebody into my life, and I have found the faith to hear it as the Word of God. What did Paul say to the Thessalonians in the passage we refer to often? I'm going to read it from the Amplified. And we also thank God continually for this, that when you received the word of God from us, you welcomed it not as the word of mere men. Amen. Amen. Paul said elsewhere he could have come and spoke a wisdom of this world and then their faith would have rested on the wisdom of men, didn't he? But he didn't. He came and he said, this is the word of God. And the only thing your faith is going to rest on is the conviction that God is speaking to you. And if you don't feel that, then the word isn't for you. Amen. You received the word of God from us, and you welcomed it not as the word of mere men, but as it truly is, the Logos of God. The word of God, which is effectively at work in you who believe, exercising its superhuman power in those who who adhere to and trust in and rely on it. All you have is human power until you can receive the word of God from human beings, not as human power, but as the word of God. And then you have superhuman effective power that is able to work inside of you. If you are powerless, if you are incapable of overcoming, then there is some place where the Word of God is coming to you and you're accepting it as only the Word of mere men. You have lost your trembling at the Word of God and therefore He is no longer near to you. Amen. You've lost your contrite spirit your broken heart and therefore he is no longer near to you but if you would humble yourself and stop pointing at other people's problems but tremble before God yourself and say Lord I'm dying already if I don't live by every word that proceeds from your mouth so please speak and I will say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord if you'll do that then the presence of God will flood back into your life And Christ will be in you, even in your heart and in your mouth, if you can receive the word of faith that his messengers are bringing to you. Amen. Amen. In the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul starts off by saying, No one can say, Jesus is the Lord. I'm just going to read it from this alternate translation, if you don't mind, briefly. Briefly. He says, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were heathen, you were in the habit of going off wherever you might be led after idols that could not speak. You followed a form of godliness that had no power. You followed an idol that never opened its mouth and rebuked you. You followed something that was really your creation because you could control it and define how it controlled you. Amen? And when you follow a Christianity that never confronts you, when you follow a form of godliness where brothers never come and bring a word that you've got to tremble before, then you are following an idol. You have made an idol out of your Christianity because it's human made. You're, your are you're, you're, you're Your faith is resting, not in the power of God, but in the wisdom of man. And that is idolatry. Only if you tremble is it not idolatry. Only if you actually believe this is the word of God that I'm going to be eternally accountable to. Only then is it not idolatry. So he starts off and he says, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were heathen, you were in the habit of going off wherever you might be led after idols that could not speak. So I want to inform you that no one speaking under the power of of the Spirit of God can say Jesus is accursed. And no one except under the power of the Holy Spirit can really say Jesus is Lord. This man is a literalist translation, a scholar, literalist scholar who tries to render every one of these verses as literally as possible. He doesn't do a perfect job. But this is how he translates it. He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord. They can't really say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is not powerful in your life, Jesus is not Lord. If there is never any point where there is a power that is greater than you, that is imposing its will on you, then you cannot claim that Jesus is your Lord. If there is no transgression of your lordship, then there is no possibility of Jesus' lordship. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We know that he is, of course, saying no one can legitimately say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said in Matthew 7, What many will say to me? Lord, Lord. Did they say that by the power of the Holy Spirit? No, and that was precisely the problem. They said, Lord, Lord, but they did not know him and they did not do the things he commanded. Why did they not do the things he commanded? Because they didn't know it was him commanding them. They thought it was just brother so-and-so. Amen. Amen. They did not recognize the one whom he had sent, so they could not do the works of God. This is the work of God to believe on the one whom he has sent. So if you are a worker of iniquity, it is because you do not recognize the one God has sent. So he's talking about spiritual gifts, and he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does he go on to immediately say? What does he immediately go on? He wants us. He has created a dilemma. Paul has. He says, we need the lordship of Jesus in order to be saved. Amen? And then he says, but you can't accept, you can't legitimately claim to be under the lordship of Jesus except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul has created a dilemma. We need the Lordship. We can't do it without the power of the Spirit. How does he answer that dilemma that he has set up in those first three verses? How does he do it? That's how he started out. How does he answer that dilemma? Do you understand what I'm saying? There are many ministries, but one Lord. I'm paraphrasing, but he goes on to say that there's a... The gifts of the Spirit are going to be expressed through his body. That's exactly right. We have got to accept that Jesus is Lord. We cannot do that except by the power of the Spirit. So then he launches into all the ways the Spirit is going to represent the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. And it's not me and Jesus got our own thing going. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Next breath, now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. So the spirit in these ministries represents what? The lordship of Jesus in my life. And if I don't have that, then my claim that Jesus is Lord is a false claim. And it is as shallow as those that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 7 when they said, Lord, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just pray for a minute. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus God. Praise you, Jesus God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. hallelujah. God, help us in Jesus' name. Help us, God. Change our way of thinking. Change our way of hearing. Change our faith, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Just to speak like some of this, just to speak some of these words will make some people nervous, and it should. It will make some people very nervous. And in their nervousness, they're going to say, that what I'm saying is that you have to trust flesh. That's exactly the opposite of what I'm saying. I'm saying we all have a flesh that we've all vowed to put to death. And we all trust that we're honest in that commitment and that we're all accountable to the entire body to, to fulfill that commitment, amen? But we believe that he has composed the body just as he will. And we believe our life is in his hands. We believe the heart of the ruler is in his hands. And we believe that God through the spirit is trying to keep his power alive on the earth. And we believe that there are men and women who are humbling themselves and answering the call of God to bring that spirit in words that we can obey. Amen? Amen. Does it mean they're perfect? Absolutely not. But does does it mean that God is perfect And He's in control and therefore He is trustworthy. Absolutely! That's what it means. Amen. It means He watches over His Word to perform it. You can look at that in many ways. It's true in all of them. Amen. Did the apostles, the twelve apostles, did they always get everything right on the first go-round? When Peter baptized Cornelius. They all sent him a letter of commendation, didn't they? Dear Peter, we just want you to know we're in full agreement with everything. Is that what they did? No. The apostles, upon whom we're built, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Amen. These men who were called of Jesus, anointed by God, did they get it right on the first go-round? They had questions, didn't they? They had uncertainties. They even had vehement challenges, the Bible tells us. Now, we know that when Peter stood there with Cornelius, he said that if he didn't baptize Cornelius, he would have been preventing God. Okay? So Peter was pretty sure he was in the Spirit, wasn't he? So when he got word to come to Jerusalem and sit down with the council of elders, what did he say? Oh, I see now God has rejected the apostles of the Lord, because they don't agree with me right off the bat. No. He said, God, you called us. God, you anointed me. God, you're in charge of this whole church. You're in charge of this meeting I'm going to. I don't trust man, but boy, I trust God. And I am going there in complete faith that God is going to bring us all to a complete unity. And we are going to move forward in a precedent that will set the stage for the rest of humankind. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He didn't separate himself and seek his own desire and rage against all wise judgment. He with Jesus said, if your works are done in God, bring it out and let it be in the light that it may may be plainly seen. And they all gathered together and they challenged him. Maybe they even rebuked him. Amen. But they also were trembling at his presence, trembling at his word. And when Peter in humility and faith explained by the Spirit what God had done, Their hearts burned within them. They felt it, and they all, with one accord, said, Worship God and and praised him that God has granted the Gentiles repentance unto life. Now, it's impossible to invent hypotheticals for men of character like Peter. But what if Peter had come in sulking at that meeting? I'll tell you what. If he had come in pouting and sulking, it's impossible to even contemplate the ramifications of something like that because it's too tragic. Amen. If he had come in with the whole thing being about him and whether he was right, and whether they trusted him, come on, don't y'all trust me? He gave the keys to me. Amen. Who knows what would have happened? He would have separated himself and in his rightness, he would have become unrighteous like my dad has told us. Amen. And who knows how the work of God could have been hamstrung? Amen. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. We're told in in the fifteenth chapter of Acts, I believe it is, maybe the beginning of the sixteenth. I believe it's the fifteenth. No, it's sixteenth. We're told in the sixteenth chapter of Acts that Paul went through a certain town, and he met. A man there whose mother was Jewish and whose father was Greek. The man's name was Timothy and Paul was very impressed by this man in a good way and he determined to bring Timothy along with him in the ministry. Paul had quite a cohort, I don't remember how many, but there was quite a, a group of them traveling. Luke, the, the, uh, the, the writer of the two Gospel, the writer of the book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke, he's one of them. Amen. Paul sees Timothy and immediately after get it picking up Timothy, there, are, there is a three-step thing that happens. The first thing that happens when Paul picks up Timothy is Paul determines to go to Asia. Paul is the leader. Paul is the one who's called by God, and the rest are followers. And Paul makes up his mind, I'm going to go to Asia and take the message of the Lord. And he gets right to the gates of Asia, and it says the Holy Spirit prevented him from entering now what does that mean that means paul's intentions were countered and corrected and set back by the holy spirit well that what that indicates to me is that paul is a person amen when they all went back home that night and sat around the table luke said you know guys i'm sorry timothy we just brought you on but i don't think we can trust this paul he doesn't know the leading of the spirit he took half a step that wasn't perfect. Is that what they did? Amen. And so the book of Acts stops there with Paul's failure. I'm not saying he failed, but he wasn't in the spirit in his intentions to go there. God had to stop him. But how do you look at it? You can say God had to stop him or you can say this guy's sensitive to the spirit. God was able to stop him. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And then the next day... Paul wakes up and he says, you know what, guys? We're going to Bithynia. This is the um, paraphrase according to Ossie. He says, we're going to Bithynia. And so they all got up and they got to the very gates of Bithynia. And when they got there, it says the spirit of Jesus would not let them enter. Prohibited them from entering. This is round two. Now everybody's starting to worry. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're saying, God, all we are trying to do is humble ourselves and obey you. And we know you've put something in our hearts and we know you've called us to follow this man. We've seen the evidence that he does not lean on the wisdom of man but on the power of God. And we are going to keep pressing and we're going to rally the troops and be all the more bound together in solidarity until the way opens up and it's all proven worth it. That night Paul goes to bed. And he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a Macedonian. He's kind of going, boing, bling, bling," And in the dream, he sees a Macedonian man saying, come to Macedonia. And he gets up the very next morning, and he takes with him Silas, and they trek off into Macedonia to a place called Philippi. Amen? Amen. And when they get there, This time the Spirit of Jesus didn't stop them. The Holy Ghost didn't prevent them at the gates. They get all the way into the city and they're arrested and their clothes are ripped from their backs and they're beaten with rods through the entire city. What would have been going on between Paul and Silas? What if Silas had been... God, I should have seen that. The signs, these last two times, Paul just doesn't know how to follow the leading of the Spirit. We had two fellowships, and we didn't feel the Holy Ghost in them. Really, that's how many you had? Okay. Amen. No, I don't think that's what they were saying to each other. Amen. They get thrown in prison. Silas, is he looking at Paul sideways through the bars? Paul, why did I ever trust you? Amen. No, no. Something is welling up inside of his heart. It says, God, Brother Paul believes it. I believe it too. You spoke to us. And I still have faith in that word. I still have faith that you've got our lives in your hands. Amen. And something starts happening. They start worshiping God, singing and praising God. Somehow, Lord, you can have this whole situation in your hands. Amen. Amen, and all of a sudden their chains start shaking, and then the jail starts shaking, and then Macedonia starts shaking, and then the world starts shaking, all because people had enough faith to believe that God could still speak through flesh and blood. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus, God. Hallelujah. Amen. And then they hear a sword unsheathed. Amen. And Paul cries out, stop, to the Macedonian man he saw in his dream, stop, amen, amen. And he's forgiven, and he and his entire household are baptized, and the dream comes true, amen. It takes a whole lot of faith to keep the dream alive, to keep the purpose of God alive. Amen. Through all of our frailty, through all of our falling, all of our human weakness, and all of our faithlessness, and all of the setbacks from within and from without. Amen. But that's how the world is shaken. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And when you were talking about what God is doing, that's what God is doing. Amen. We are not people who second-guess ourselves or God. We've done more than second-guess ourselves. We've died to ourselves. We've died to even the fear of looking bad in the eyes of other people. We are willing to stand up and fail. We are willing to go to the gates of Asia. We're willing to go to the gates of Bithynia just to hear the voice of God, even if that voice says, you're missing it, go back. But we're going to keep going wherever we hear his voice and we're going to keep trying. We're going to keep stepping out in faith again and again and again and again. We're not going to give up give up faith in God and we're not going to lose faith in each other. Amen. Because our faith really isn't in flesh. Our faith is that flesh has been committed to the grave and that we can trust the God who's taken hold of us by the Spirit. Amen. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. Praise. Amen. And the Son of Man came, and he found faith in Dallas. And the Son of Man came, and he found faith in Austin. And the Son of Man came, and he found faith in Waco. And he found faith in Colorado. And he found faith in New Jersey. And he's found faith all over this country, and he's finding it all over the world. Keep faith alive. That is, keep your hearing awake. Keep your ability to hear the Word of God alive. Amen. Because God can still speak, even through people like you and me. Amen. Hey